talking and I'm not and I'm just <laughs> And then I'm talking <laughs> No, but wait, wait, I have something for him. Boom, you get shot down. Now you're just fucking me, aren't you? <laughs> I'm just wondering why all these people like kids. The Weird History and Eerie Tales Podcast. Concentrate on the Wow. <laughs> there's nothing wrong All right, welcome everybody to another episode of the Weird History Eritos Podcast. I am your host, Moses Soria. With me to my left is Achi. Yeah, what's up? Sitting to the right of me is my brother. What's up, sexies? And uh, you guys couldn't tell, but we were watching a bunch of ASMR videos. Oh, it's like ridiculous. There's a freaking huge-ass community for this. Why? Why do you guys like ASMR? It's relaxing, bro. I, 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 I never would have guessed Cardi B would have had her own ASMR <laughs> little episode. She's good at it. And, like, I, I, I hope you guys weren't joking, but I'm telling but I'm being truthful the second you guys leave. I'm fucking. I, I know I'm going to watch that episode. We, we, I believe you. I believe you. I, there, there's no doubt you're going to go back to that video and you're going to rewatch it. And who knows? We might pop out with our own ASMR <laughs> episode. I mean, Josh already has some good plans here. Here we He's gonna be the narrator. He's gonna be the one who's a, he's gonna be a Samar. Welcome to another episode. As we talk about all things weird and airy. And um so yeah, so if you guys haven't noticed, we are doing part two and our finale of our Lalari series. Ooh. And again, this series was brought to you by Mad by Mad Madam Lalari. New Orleans' Most Famous Murderous Revealed, written by Victoria Cosner Love and Lorelei Shannon. Again, check it out. This book's amazing. If you guys want to purchase it, Madame Madame Lalaurie, or you can just go on the episode show notes where I just posted, where the Amazon link post, where the Amazon link is going to be posted. There you go. There you go. Add it. Add it. I figured it out. I figured it out. Good, 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 good. All right. So without further ado, let's get started. So after learning about the life of Lalaurie before leading up to and after the incident of April 10th of 1834 on last week's episode, I found it interesting reading how the story was viewed then and how it is viewed now. Slowly as the truth is being uncovered, we are able to see and follow the narratives of certain people who have helped Madame Lalaurie's legend grow, starting with L. Suverest. So Suverest is the gentleman that we read about last week. He's a writer that tells us that tells of what seems to be an eyewitness report of a certain Dr. Miller. And his article places Delphine in France immediately following the incidents at her mansion. Remember during last week's episode, how we were talking about toward the end, how she was seen in France, and one of the places she was seen was this dude's like, hey, I think I know this chick, and they're at a party, and mm. he starts telling people, like, no, 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 her name is Delphine Lalaurie, and she was the one who was burning... She's the one who was fucking up her slaves in in Louisiana, yeah, yeah. and then she ended up just bolting and like leaving again. Yeah. Well, that's what that's that that article was written by this guy, mm-hmm. and even though um, Suvarez's account was a short article written f- from an eyewitness's point of view, it's just it's just a small article. It wasn't a book. It wasn't a paper. It was a small article that was written in the newspaper, and the reason why this article is so important. It's because for what it added to the Delphine's legend. Hmm. Details that are now set in stone, if you will. And that is that the coachman who glowed with health, the story of Delphine passing her glass of wine to his slave, and fearful slaves who initially started to question what was going on. 
So these three things are repeated over and over and over and over again in almost every version of legend you hear about Madame Lalaurie. The coach when he glowed with health. Remember the driver who helped her escape. The one who she's like the one who was the only one that was healthy because that's the only one people saw. And then the story of her passing the glass of wine to a slave because she was nice to her slaves. You know what I mean? All of this is led. All of this is part of her lore, and it was just written on one article across the ocean. On a newspaper four years after the incident happened. Mm. So for whatever reason, it just stuck. But the reason many believe him to be nothing more than sensationalizing his journalism when it came to Delphine's story, it's because his Delphine story was a lot different than what we've come to learn. A few of the notable differences between uh Suvers' account and facts are like actually let us know the differences. So he says that according to his eyewitness, Dr. Miller. It was not a young girl, but a young boy named Mingo who was chased off the roof in 1833. In the same article, he describes Madame Lollery as a quote-unquote thrice a widow when the events of her mansion occurred. He also describes her as being at least 50 in 1834, but her daughters as just children when we know that in 1834 her daughters were almost adults. But all of this just goes to show you how just four years after the incident, not only is the legend of Lalaurie alive and well, but it was already changing shape. So his story differentiated from the, from stories that were coming from the United States. Yeah, He was a writer in France. And in France, it wasn't a little girl, but it was a little boy. And in, from what he heard, she was she was already widowed three times. She, she, her, three of her husbands had already died. But we know for a fact, only two of them. Third one, Doctor Louis Lalaurie, oh, yeah. he was still alive and well. Right. But for whatever reason, we don't know why none of the other things stuck, except for the three that you mentioned earlier. Yeah. The coach when he glowed with hell, the story of Delphine passing the glass to the wine, and the fact that the emaciated and fearful slaves, after Mingo, after Mingo fell and died. That's when that's when the slaves started figuring shit out. Like, hey man, something's wrong in this fucking house. So, question: the whole thing about the girl and Mingo—that's not the one that was locked up against the stove, right? There's no, someone else. No. So, Mingo's story. You know how in episode one we were talking about how she was getting hair done, and a little slave girl, she yeah. pulled her hair. Nina. At, huh? Nina. That was her name. I think. Nina was it Nina? Nina. She pulled her hair, and Lalari chased her around the house until she got to the roof, and from the roof she slipped and fell. Right. Right. Well. In his version, it wasn't a little girl. It was a little boy. And the right. little boy was named Mingo. Right. So it's it's only been four years, and characters are already changing. Facts are being taken out and manipulated, yeah. taken and out, depending on the narrative that you want to read or that you want her to believe in. And I wonder how he got that information, especially, one, four years later, and two, not being from from the, the States. And, it, and, it, and it's just a legend. It's just, well, whatever reason, it just took a life. It just took a life of its own. Another contributor to the legend of the Lollarie was someone named Harriet Martineau, who was a British author who during her time was recognized as a controversial journalist and feminist. She wrote about Lollarie when she traveled extensively through every region of what the United States was at the time. And her version of the story is, has basically become canon as her version is repeated in almost every version of the Lollarie story. One of the questions that I had in last week's episode is why? In almost every retelling of the Lollary story, why is her husband never mentioned? And if he is, he's nothing more than a background character. Remember, I kept saying that last week. I'm like, why the fuck? Yep. This dude is always in the background. Well, 
because of Harriet. And here's a little like snippet of what she had to say when it came to Dr. Lalaurie. Her third husband was, I believe, a Frenchman. He was many years younger than his lady and had nothing to do with the management of her property, so that he has been in no degree mixed up with her affairs and disgrace. So off the bat in that article, she's talking about like he he hadn't like he's just he wasn't important. He just married he was just married to her and he just fucked off. This but is Dr. Lollery? Dr. Lollery. Yeah. According to her, that's what Dr. Lollery's thing was. But we know that's not true. We know that he was an active doctor. He had, he was bringing people into the house. He bought the mansion. He was working on people. He was working on a, the rumors of him messing around with slaves. Uh, he was an active doctor. Yeah. He was an active doctor and he worked from home. So like already she's already dismissing them as some sort of like nobody in the town of La Lari when we both know he was kind of a piece of shit to her. Right. So that means he had he must have he must have had a dominant personality. And someone who's a dominant personality is not just going to be in the background. You right. know what I mean? He's always going to be in the forefront. Yeah. But for one reason or another, she Harriet she just wanted to make Delphine be the end all be all like the central the figure of the whole of the whole story. Mm. I remember right before the fire, a lawyer stopped by to tell the Lollaries about the code nor and the restrictions placed upon the slave's owner. You know how right before the fire, when a bunch of shit happened, that a lawyer stopped by to the house and he ended up falling, like, stopped by, like, oh, you can't be doing this. And he left up, but he left the mansion, like, oh, like, damn, she's just all pretty or whatever. Yeah. Well, guess who was the first to mention this said lawyer? It was Harriet. And the crazy part is, is that this little tidbit, as that is so inconsequential to the lore of Lollary. You, you, you could take that part out of the lore and it doesn't change it. Yeah. But for whatever reason, this is always mentioned. It's always mentioned. Every version you hear of the story About always the mentions this little piece of the lawyer. Lollary, she was messing with the slaves. The little girl fell. Someone came by and said, hey, you can't be doing this. But when the lawyer stopped by, he ended up leaving going like, damn, she's fucking beautiful. I can't. She, she possibly couldn't have done it. For whatever reason, that's always mentioned, and it was she brought it up. She's the one who came up with that little part. And the only reason, the only reason I think it's still kept alive in her lore is to feed the look how someone so elegant and beautiful could be responsible for something so evil and ugly narrative. Right. I feel that's the only reason why that's still there. It feeds <clears throat> that narrative of like, look how pretty she is, look how noble she is, but look behind closed doors, look how the monster that she's it, become you know typical, what i mean don't judge a book by its cover type of exactly narrative. harriet she never offers the lawyer's name his identity what firm he worked from where he came from all she says and the only way she refers to him is the only way she refers to him is as a friend of mine she said a friend of mine a lawyer went to her house told her hey you can't be doing this to your slaves and he left leaving damn she's fucking beautiful Whatever reason, that fucking stuck. And Harriet, she would vividly evoke many scenes of American life for her British audience. Remember, she was British. So she often wrote to what she was seeing and reported what she was told. She never, ever, ever researched any of the events she was told about, at least when it came to the Lollary story. And many kind of put an asterisk in her book Retrospect of the Western Travel, which covers this lottery narrative, this lottery narrative of hers, as stories told through 
the eyes of an abolitionist and feminist. So when people mention this book, they have an asterisk. Like when people mention sources, yeah. they mention her book, but they also got to put like quote unquote like uh, she never did any research. Right. She, she just went. She just went to Louisiana, and she uh, people were telling stories, and she just wrote, she wrote it down in the book as if yeah. it was fact, mm. and she just kept moving along. Which is why maybe her story came out accidentally vilifying Madame LaLaurie. She put LaLaurie's husband to the side and setting the blame squarely on the shoulders of Delphine. Which is really fucking sad and not very feminist of her. I could maybe see her playing up LaLaurie and putting her husband as nothing more than a character in her story. In a kind of, well shit, ladies can be killers too. Let me show you. And had Lollerie put up some sort of, and had Lollerie put up, and had put Lollerie on some sort of macabre pedestal to try and make her an equal when it comes to the horrors humankind can be guilty of. So that's the only reason I could maybe picture her doing all of this. Maybe like her, the fe- like the feminist in her is like, no, 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 like, like, no, no, it's all Lollerie. Lollerie was the mastermind of this. It wasn't her husband. She's the one who did the slave. She's the one who did the medical atrocity. She's oh. the one who did everything, and like- everything of it, and put her up on a pedestal, but. Like, it just sucks because it would suck she would do this because she did it to someone who I strongly, I still strongly believe is an innocent woman. Yeah. And, like, it also puts a bigger, or like it, it becomes more interesting of a story when you see someone who's, I guess, that quote-unquote beautiful doing some crazy shit like that because that's way more interesting than if you see someone who's, like, hideous and witch-like because then people would be like, oh, yeah, of course she does that stuff. But if it's someone beautiful, then you're like, what? I didn't, what? I can never see that happening. Tell me more. And because of her, because of her not fact-checking stories and researching them to see if there was any fact in any of them, many of the horrible stories told of LaLaurie that painted her as a monster before the fire were because of Harriet. And here are some of the things that she said about Madame LaLaurie that no one else said before her. She's the one who put these into the ether, if you will. And she said, the eight-year-old girl who was chased off the lottery roof, the punishment of having her slaves taken away only for her to buy them back, and the seven slaves pulled from the attic uh, being these slaves. So she claims she was told of the young slave girl by someone who witnessed the whole thing. In her book, she says, someone told me that this... That this little girl who fell off the roof, who Harriet, she was the first one to mention, ever mention the little girl falling off the roof. Yeah. She said someone told me about it. She said the person who told me they owned the property adjacent to the Lollerie house. And it was Harriet who alleged that the little body was carried off by grieving slaves and then buried in the courtyard after Lollerie went to bed. So the she was the first one to bring this up. And she didn't fact check it. She didn't, she just she just said someone told me, and because of it, it's now part of the Lollary lore, and it feeds into the Lala, whole Lollary thing of hating her slaves. Uh-huh. She claimed that an investigation was opened up about this incident, and that Lollary was punished for it. Remember last week where we learned that the judge was actually a family member of Lollary. Remember how we, in, in the legend of the Lollary, after the little girl fell, she had to, uh, she went to court. And because all of New Orleans was watching to see what was going to happen, the judge is like, look, I just can't let you off the hook. So I'm going to find you $300, and I'm going to take away your slaves. Remember, that was her punishment. Uh. 
Well, this was all Harriet's doing. Right. No one had said this before. Harriet, for whatever reason, Harriet's the one who came and put all of this into the ether. And again, it's all like from word of mouth. And from stuff word that of mouth, heard. yeah, from from everything she's that's she heard. And the most ridiculous part was a lot of this shit that she was trying to that she was portraying to be true was told to her under the whole well. My cousin has a friend whose aunt said that she, when she was at my cousin's next door neighbor's house, they saw. It was never her speaking directly to somebody who was like, oh, I was there. It was always like, no, no, no. I know, like, I have a story because I know a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy who worked at the store across the street from Lottery, and this is what he said happened. Oh, fuck. That's the shit she was getting. That's the information she was getting and throwing into her book. She never verified anything. She didn't fact check anything. She was like, oh, really? Cool. Put it in her book and throwing it. And you're throwing in there, but like to her credit, she was writing a book about all of the United States. That that was she wasn't writing just a book about Lottery. She was just writing about her explorer, her 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 her, her exploring the oh, United okay. States. So she was just in Louisiana. She was stopping by, and people are like, "Oh yeah, this is crazy shit happened." Like, oh yeah, well, what happened? And people are telling her like, "Oh shit, that's cool." She just wrote notes down or and just threw it in her book. Uh, okay, so she didn't have the time. She didn't have the time. But like, if you're gonna write a book about, you know, about the shit you saw. You're not going to... I mean, because it's like a... It, at least what I'm hearing, it sounds more like of an experience book, like a journal type of thing. And you, That's basically what it is. You're experiencing it firsthand from people saying like, hey, this is what happened. It's not just like a, a specific prescribed Tip. informational type of thing. But would, people took it that way, right? I mean, well, I mean, yes, but I, I would believe it if she wasn't a professional. That, that was her doing. That was her life. That, that was her job. She was an author. Uh-huh. So she knew that she had, as an author, you know, you're, not, you're supposed, if you're writing, you got to do your due diligence on what yeah. you're going to report about. And she didn't do it. She didn't do it, at least not for the whole, well, for the whole lottery thing. And if only she would have done a little bit of research, she would have found out that no court records exist for the death of a slave girl or any legal judgment against lottery. In her story, she also claims that Lollary was physically abusive to her daughters. But it's easy to dismiss those accusations because she also claims that the Lollary's mansion's fire was a quick one and that it was put out almost immediately and that the neighbors took advantage of this to break into the mansion to satisfy the curiosity about the rumors surrounding the mansion. Huh. So she was sprinkling a bunch of shit in the, in the book that <coughs> we don't know if also it was... on top of that. Like, one of the things she mentioned was, like, she was really abusive to her daughters. But, like, we never, she got along with her daughters. She was always traveling with her daughters. We never got mentioned or word or anything. She was mean or evil or she yeah. was beating them up. She yeah. was actually taking care of, like, two, two of her dead husbands, all of their children. Yeah. No one got a word. At least there's no word or reports of her being a piece of shit to any of, this, to any of these children. Yeah. But in her book, she was saying that she was, like, not physically abusive, but, like, mentally abusive. Yeah, where she yeah. was like, man, shut up. Like, yeah. doing, like. <laughs> hey, man, shut up. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, yeah, she was verbally abusive. Yeah, verbally abusive. Yeah. Hmm. And Harriet's dramatic descriptions, you know, it painted an exciting story, but it also defamed Madame Lollerie forever. Many of your, many of her accounts she collected from eyewitnesses. And if you watched any CSI crime drama show, or if even you know of a police officer, you'd know that eyewitness accounts are some of the least reliable sources of evidence. Many see what they want to see. And in Harriet's case, and according to her sources, New Orleans saw Lollary not as a beautiful 
aristocratic belle, but a mistress of horror. She helped turn the shameful case of cruel abuse to an epic grand show of horror. But speaking of turning a shit show into a show of horror, holy shit, does Jean take the fucking cake when it comes to bullshitting his way into history? Jean Delevingne, he wrote Ghost Stories of Old New Orleans in 1946. And not only did he set the bar for the stories of hauntings in the lottery house, but he was responsible for the medical horror porn embellishments of the whole lottery story. He was the first to report the medical experiments and the buckets of body parts with no documentation to back up these horribly but amazingly macabre details and this is a section of his book where he describes the attic you know the scene where the fireman breaks in the fireman breaks in bam remember last week (laughs) remember last week we heard we heard the actual legal document my brother read the legal document that came out the day of or what they (laughs) found yeah yeah Yeah. this is what he said happened oh this is in 1946 this is a hundred this is a hundred and fucking 12 years later i don't know where this comes out exactly The man who smashed the garret door saw powerful male slaves, stark, naked, chained to the wall, their eyes gauged out, their fingernails pulled off by the roots. Others had their joints skin and festering, great holes in their buttocks where the flesh had been sliced away. Their ears were hanging by shreds, their lips sewed together, their tongues drawn out and sewed to their chins. Severed heads stitched to the bellies, legs pulled joint from joint. Female slaves had their mouth and ears crammed with ashes and chicken entrails and bound tightly. Others had been smeared with honey and black ants. Intestines were pulled out and knotted around naked waists. There were holes in skulls where a rough stick had been inserted to stir the brains. Some of the poor creatures were dead, some were unconscious, a few were still breathing, suffering agonies beyond any power to describe. Sounds like American Horror Story. And right on cue, first-hand stories of hauntings in the Lollary House were starting to appear in the newspapers right after his book, Ghost Stories of Old New Orleans, were published. Jean, exploiting the inhumane tortured slaves, Lollary, fed the tabloid machine of sensationalism. And today you can find an untold amount of ghost stories from the Lollaries. But I bet my money that most of these ghost stories that you're going to find are from 1946 and forward. So, so it's because of him. 112 years later, that were, that the Lollary lore legend whatever has these macabre details. Buckets of body parts, people being shown to, sewn together, limbs broken, people shaved in box, people's joints broken so they could fit in boxes. Like it was all him. Now, I like how not only does it describe what he sees, quote unquote, but also how those things came about. Like for example, when he was saying about the the hole in that person's head, 
how the reason why that's there is because they got a stick and they're like mushing their brain up. It's like, how do you how do you know that? But it worked. It worked, and it worked. And those are just three people's three pe- three people's input journalism, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, narrative that shaped yeah, the narratives that that shaped the whole lottery story. Yeah. Because of three people, they added each person added their own little thing to it, and it stuck. And there were just three of many. Remember this story for whatever reason, and I can't even explain it. I mean, or I can explain why, just because of this motherfucker. That's the reason why I found out about Madame Lalari because of everything they talked about in the attic. But it's like it's 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 had its life of its own, and for whatever reason, it's it's always <laughs> captured the imagination of people, and people are just always. They grabbed it, and they added the little thing to it, and, and passed it, passed it on, and then it became a series. And then it just blew up, and then it's just she has her own fucking her own universe. There's different legends that you want to believe. Watch her come back from the dead and be like, you know what? Actually, none of this happened. Which is what I was. That's the narrative I believe. No, I mean like, not not even the whole torturing of the slaves or anything like that. Turns out she was a slave. <laughs> oh my gosh how would so it's easy to see how a few people's incorrect or lazy narratives could influence a person's legacy decades and centuries after their passing mm-hmm. we literally just heard about harriet whose whole story on lolly came from second and third hand sources friends of friends and so on and so forth but thanks to this series of source mad madam lolly Written by Victoria Cosner Love and Lorelei Shannon, that you are now able to tell what is fact and what is what is fact from myth. But if you need just a little help, here is a little breakdown of what is myth and what is fact when it comes to La Lorie. So here's myth number one: Delphine Lalaurie's first two husbands died under mysterious circumstances, and her final husband, Louis Lalaurie mysteriously vanished off the face of the earth after the incident of April 10th, 1834. She was a murderous belle whose transformation started with her killing her first two husbands and possibly her third. What? So when it comes to this myth, yes, she did have two husbands who died with no documentation for their deaths. But that isn't really that weird, especially when you consider that none of her husbands died at home. Record keeping between countries was, for the lack of a better term, dick during this time. She may have been present for the for her first husband's death, depending on the timeline you believe was fact, and if she really did reach Cuba just in time to say goodbye. But if she did, he was already sick and dying when she got word of him after he was banished for his, for his insubordination back to France. Remember, she was married to that one dude yeah. who they just fucked him off just because he was doing whatever the fuck he wanted. Yeah, selling uh, what is it, elephant shit? No, that's that, that, this is the second guy. Her first husband was the dude who was who was working at a post that he didn't really care. Yeah, and he married Lalaurie and like, oh no, you're not supposed to marry her without the permission of the king. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so he was she, a knight or some shit. Like yeah, he that. was a knight. Yeah, yeah. So maybe she maybe saw him. She maybe saw him him die. If you believe a certain timeline where, like, she got a word 
if you believe that, um, you know how she bowed to the queen and the yeah. queen's like, oh, you're so beautiful, whatever you want, it's granted. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, if, if you believe that happened, then she might have seen her husband die in Cuba. But her second husband, Sean Black, Sean Blank, on the other hand, this dude was in every sense of the word a quote unquote bad boy. His lifestyle made it impossible to track him through the regular means of record keeping. The dude was a smuggler, a slave dealer. Maybe he was a fucking pirate. Maybe not. But people who lived their lives the way Jean did usually died violently. Maybe he got eaten by a gator or maybe he was killed while transporting 27,000 pounds of fucking coffee. Who knows? Or maybe he just said fuck it and moved far away and started his life anew. No one knows what happened to him. Doesn't mean he died mysteriously. It's just he just vanished. Yes. Yeah. To thin air. So they just assume he died. Well, eventually he did. Oh, yeah. True. <laughs> yeah, well, no shit. Louis Lollerie. <laughs> he got pulled by all the freaking coffee. <laughs> he died of diabetes from all the coffee he was drinking. <laughs> he drank all 27,000 pounds of coffee. Mm. What do you mean? What is coffee? And Louis Lollerie is, is another one who most likely died practicing medicine in Haiti. He and Delphine had been separated for years after his death. So unless she was going for the long con and waiting for him to get old for him to, for her to take him out, he died of natural causes. So to finally answer Josh's question, none of Lalaurie's husbands died under mysterious circumstances. Not one of them met their maker by being poisoned or being murdered for hire, which were the two most common ways a wife was able to get rid of her unwanted husband during these present times. So that first myth about her husband dying mysteriously under mysterious circumstances, that myth is dick. We know how we don't know how they died, but they died away from her and she had nothing to do with it. So myth number one, dick. Mm. Myth number two. Madam was seen chasing a young slave through her house, brandishing a bullwhip. She she chased the young girl up to the roof where the child slipped and fell to her death in the courtyard. She was buried next to the well by her grieving relatives. And then here's a fact. There is no documentation of the death of the slave child that exists. If it did happen, it probably was reported. And if the complaints were in fact filed by the witness, the case would have been heard in civil or parish courts. But again, no records exist of these either. Most versions of the story claim that Delphine was punished for this. And her remaining slaves were taken away from her. But again, no court records of disciplinary action were taken against Delphine have been found. The tale of the murdered child appeared in almost all the versions of Lollarie, but with no records to back up any part of the Lollarie story, we're going to call this myth bullshit. Mm. You're bullshit, Josh. So so we have have two myths Mm. that are kind of uh, important to the Lollarie myth. Both of them. Both of them. Demystified. Both of them. Dick. Smell that? Smell that? Smell like dick. Smells like dick (laughs) and bullshit. I was going to say bullshit. (laughs) Y'all smelling dick over here? Oh, Lord. And now, myth number three. Firemen at the scene of the Lollary fire reported horrific and outrageously grotesque scenes of torture. So, Jean... Levine, you bastard, you. Because of your fucking book, Ghost Stories of Old New Orleans, the beautiful, probably slim, thick, and innocent Delphine Lollerie is now seen more like one of Clyde Barker's Xenobites from the movie Hellraiser 
than the Creole beauty that she was. There are no records that involved firemen documenting or even talking about these atrocities. And it wasn't until this asshole's book in 1946, a hundred plus years later, that any of these hellish scenes in the macabre even made it into the Lollary story. Plus, we actually have the fucking official statement. We read a portion of it on last week's episode from Judge Conango, who put out the statement the same day of the Lollary incident. And in this statement, he says that only seven slaves were pulled from the upper floors of the mansion during the fire. The slaves were not in good condition, and it was determined that they were chained, beaten, and starved over a period of time. And as fucked up and shitty and horrible as that was, it is nowhere near the buckets of body parts and broken joint horror story that we've all come to love so much. So myth number three, that's also dick, even though that's my f- that was my favorite part of the story. That's the reason why I wanted to cover the fucking Madame Lalaurie La story. You find out, and they're just mistreated. But I mean, it's still bad, though. Well, I mean, she, I mean, they were more than mistreated. They were chained. They were not fed. They were, they were really sick. She yeah. did, whether it was her, whether it was her or her husband, whoever the case, whoever, whoever it was, they did mistreat the shit out of the slaves. But it wasn't no fucking Hellraiser scene. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. mean? You know what I mean? It wasn't what the typical Lalaurie story that you hear about it was. Which, I mean, in hindsight, I'm glad it wasn't because it would have been horrible to know that actually human beings experienced some shit like that. But it kind of bummed me out. And I was like, oh, that's, well, that's the reason why I was so into the Madame Lowry story. Well, some someone got honey dick. I, yes. You got honey dick. Got honey I got honey dick. Mm. Now let's go to myth number four. In some versions of the story where Dr. Lowry is mentioned as a culprit and not just a background character, it is said that he was experimenting on slaves with quote-unquote zombie drugs in order to make them more obedient. So let us know, is this a fact? Well, here it is. The word zombie originated in Haiti, and voodoo is an offshoot of a West African religion, and there is common belief that a voodoo priest has the ability to raise a dead person from his grave and force him to become the priest's slave. Now, in the early 1980s, a Harvard ethnobiologist named Wade Davis traveled to Haiti to try and see what was up with this zombie myth. After extensive investigations, he claimed that a living person, not a dead one, could be transformed into a zombie by the introduction of two powders into the bloodstream. Number one. We have the powder that's called Coupe de Padre, which contains tetrodoxin, the poison found in puffer fish. Oh, fuck. And number two, the other powder is made up of a cocktail of a number of drugs. So, 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 the, so the first ingredient is a deadly ass toxin. Yeah. And the second one is a, to- is a cocktail of other <laughs> of deadly drugs. toxins. What's that one drug that for a while people were were becoming zombified that there was this big thing oh bath salts bath salts yeah so just give them bath salts supposedly dr lollery thought that by administering the potion in the proper doses could get a person to just do what you wanted with no resistance the only problem was if not prepared correctly the potion could kill someone and to make things worse The zombie recipe is passed on from one voodoo priest to another. There is no exact written recipe to create, which is why maybe many people thought Dr. Lollary, of having experimented on so many slaves, 
and then having them dumped into the swamps of New Orleans, he was trying to figure out the exact dosage of this zombie potion. And if that wasn't crazy enough, there are rumors that the great voodoo queen herself, Marie Levu, was helping out Dr. Lollerie in trying to figure out this combination of ingredients and was even rumored that she brought him her personal enemies to experiment on. Yeah, so the word hmm. zombie, that shit's been around for a long ass time. A um, while. For a while. And it wasn't created by uh, George A. Romero, as many people assume, who was the godfather of all zombies. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, that's... So, I don't... This 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 myth of Dr. Lollerie, like, could be true. He was trying it, but not to the extent that people thought that it was becoming. Yeah, because yeah, because remember in some of the you know like in some of the versions, Doctor Lollerie, he was throwing you know like uh, in last week's episode we mentioned that there was rumors going around that he was throwing slaves into the swamp pits of New Orleans. Yeah. So those rumors, if they are true, they could have happened and. It could have happened because of the nature of the beast. Yeah. He was a doctor who was experimenting on a bunch of different things. And so whatever wasn't working, pew, and uh, out to the swamps. Yeah, and that's what that's one of the uh, that was one of the major players. What he wanted to do, he wanted to figure out how he could make his slaves be more obedient. Right. And the fact that this whole zombie thing, in the it, after the whole legend of Lollarie happened, like the 1980s, when it started coming to light, people are like, "Holy shit, could that?" Could that actually been true? Could fucking Dr. Lollerie have been experimenting on slaves and then throwing them into the swamps trying to create his perfect zombie army? And last, but definitely not least, the last myth, myth number five. This one is not, this little myth is not in every Lollerie version of her story. It's only, this one is only mentioned in certain uh, legends of Lollerie. If you believe uh, that Lollerie and Dr. Lollerie were in cahoots. Yeah. There are legends saying that they're both responsible for it. And if you believe they were both responsible for it, you believe that Dr. Lollerie was doing the whole swamp thing. And this myth, the one you're about to talk about, is part of her legend as well. Mm. That is that a version of Delphine, one that paints her as a devilish woman, is said that Madame Laveau brought her the devil baby of Bourbon Street and she became the devil baby's godmother and raised it with her help of her husband Dr. Lorelarie until it died at the age of five. So there's actually a painting of the devil baby, the devil baby of Bourbon Street and it was painted by the same artist that painted the um, portrait of Delphine Lorelarie. You know the portrait that I posted on Instagram? Yeah. yeah, yeah. No one knows what the fuck she looked like. Because this was painted in the like 1980s. Yeah. No one knows what Delphine looked That's it. No, he doesn't even know what she looks like. Oh. He went to a wax museum that had their own interpretation of him. And he went up and asked him, like, why the fuck did you make her look like this? And they're like, well, I mean, her family was from this area. So this is the characteristics that most likely they had her. Uh, because she was beautiful, maybe. So they just sculpted her how they thought she would have looked like. So no one knows what the fuck she looks like. Yeah, but I mean... I don't know if you've ever seen this YouTube video of the interpretation of beauty from different 
generations of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like every generation has its own interpretation of what beauty was. So even if they're like, oh, because she said she was beautiful, you don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah, the standard of beauty when you painted the picture yeah, wasn't the standard that, of beauty 100 yeah, years ago. because that's subjective to every generation. Like yeah. what, what we think is beautiful now is definitely not what it was like freaking even 50 years ago. Changes. Even 10 years ago, bro. 10 years ago, we used to have straight hair and comb overs. For real, freaking 10 years ago, people were into freaking taking duck face oh, pics. Josh still does that, though. <laughs> She's done, bro. Give it up. It's not going back. That's it. Tom's done. Get out of here. And, like, one of the craziest things, too. Um, Bathroom I'm pics, too. I'm going to get back to this little devil baby thing. Yeah. Um, her paintings her the, the paintings the paintings that we have of her they have their own lore regarding the whole honorary story like there's two paintings of her there's one where the one i posted up on instagram mm-hmm. where she just looks normal and she's just like you know just dressed and like whatever and then there's a slightly scarier one where it's mostly painted in red and blacks oh in shit. red and black inks and she's dressed in late 1800s victorian clothing yeah. just to make her look a little more gothic because uh, that's how the people who who came to him wanted the painting to look like uh-huh. the people who it was uh, he was commissioned to he was commissioned to paint these paintings by the person who owned the lottery house at the time uh, and he's like i want conversation pieces can you paint me too one of her looking not regular and one little more spooky one. Oh, so they weren't even paintings at the time when she was <laughs> no they were painting like 30, 40, 50 years ago. Damn. Way after she died. Way after she so we don't So there is no action there's no, no We don't know what the fuck she looks like. But we you know would, that she was you beautiful. would think someone who has that prestige Maybe she was humble. But the same artist the same artist that drew the, the, the she, she married like three husbands. The first one kinda was. He worked for the New Orleans government. He was like a knight, something in front of Yeah, Spain. but it was like at the very tip end of that. <coughs> Look, man. The point <laughs> The point is. You can't win a ball. The point is I never took duck faces fucking pictures, right? So it's, the- it's barely hitting me right now. I never <laughs> took a fucking. You? Me. You? Me. That's a fucking lie. Man. You got receipts, Achi? I got receipts. Bro, you sounded like oh. fucking. What's the fuck's your name? Harriet? <laughs> fucking- He's creating your own narrative. Yeah, so I like Bullshit. Harriet. I like Harriet. I got, got facts. I got you facts. got evidence? I got evidence. Man. Hey, remember that MacBook that I showed you? We're doing beats. No, well, there's photos in there too, <laughs> stupid. I don't know what you're talking about, bro. I'm burning the evidence. Go, I'll carry on. I'll carry it up. Please don't, please don't. Please I'll unharry it my ass. <laughs> Fuck out of here. No, 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 no. Uh, go vanish like uh, even, fucking even, dimension. Even yeah. Jesse was like, damn, like every other photo is that duck face. I don't know what you're talking about. Carry on. Yeah, I, so I, I got y'all, fam. Shut up, stupid. <laughs> so the devil baby of Burma Street. The reason I brought him up was because this artist who painted her actually actually painted the devil baby. Also. A picture of the devil baby yeah. of Burma Street, but it just looks like a little gargoyle. But anyways, you guys, if you guys want all these pictures that I just mentioned, the two dolphin paintings and the uh, painting of the devil baby, you guys yeah. can look at our Instagram. Weird history, even those pod. If you just want to look at it, why do you sound so? You sound so disappointed. It's a little gargoyle. Well, because you're gonna find out why. I'm gonna describe <laughs> the devil baby. It's like horrible. If I see a little gargoyle, I'll be a holy shit. Horrible stick figure. So remember how last week I mentioned that Doctor Lollerie wasn't as boring as some of the versions of the legend made him out to be, and that he himself had rumors going about him, with one being 
about a devil baby. What it seemed that this part of the legend was more rampant during the early days of the legend and not so much as time went on. So the devil baby legend has it that a deformed baby cursed from voodoo is taken to the voodoo queen Mary Laveau and is raised in the dark screaming and drooling until its death. And according to this legend, Marie Laveau, the, the voodoo queen, she asked Delphine to take the baby as her godchild. Delphine responded with a resounding yes and took the baby in as someone had to look after the soul of this grotesque child. And this legend that you, where the voodoo baby comes in, Delphine and her husband are pieces of shit. The only reason she brought the baby in is she could laugh at it. She'd be like, oh, look at this ugly piece of shit. Of course I'll take it. That's the version of Delphine Lallery that lives with the devil baby. Sounds horrible. Wow. You don't want it? Fuck it. So if this little baby existed, it was obviously not a fucking demon baby, but rather a child with severe birth defects. And we can say this because the description given of the baby are similar to what is commonly known as Harlequin type ichthyosis, which is an extreme thickening of the keratin layer in the baby's skin. This causes huge diamond-shaped scales on the on the baby's entire body. The spaces in between the scales are an angry red, and the baby's skin cracks instead of folding. So every time the baby would move, the skin wouldn't fold. It just cracked, and it would just immediately oh. start bleeding, leaving the child with constant open wounds on the baby's skin, which leaves it open to infection and other illnesses. Oh, shit. Do you guys remember a few years ago, almost a decade ago where michael j white almost came out well he came out in the mortal kombat trailer for a movie that never came out the mortal kombat rebirth trailer mm-hmm. uh. do you remember that trailer it was like a true story it was like mortal kombat they were trying to make it like oh true like uh trying to ground it in earth like like we're like uh do you remember baraka from mortal kombat yeah well, Baraka in this Mortal Kombat Rebirth movie, he was a failed doctor that went crazy. So he filed his teeth to make him sharp. He surgically... Oh, like, what, what do they call that? Those type of movies? The mini... No. Webisodes? The webisodes? Some shit? No, like when they kind of like... Kind of give you the background of the coming up... Com, coming of age or whatever. Yeah, well, I mean... This trailer was like... Fat, <laughs> it was made by any studio that wanted to make the movie. So like, oh, okay. let's make the trailer, get people excited to see if we can get the rights for it. They never got the rights for it. So whatever. But the reason I bring this up is because they get... Oh, do you guys remember the... the Obviously, you guys remember Reptile. Yeah. Well, in it, they give a little background on Reptile. And his backstory is that he was born with Harley Quinn ichthyosis. It's horrible. So some say that Madame, uh, that Madame Laveau cursed a couple when the husband wanted his wife dead. The curse included a deformed baby whom she stole for selfish reasons. Some say it was for blackmail because uh, this man who wanted his wife dead was a man of high regard in New Orleans. But the legend is full of wild speculation and unlikely coincidences. Like Lollerie and the Voodoo Queen could have probably met. They were alive during the same time, different periods, but they could have. there was a period of time where they could have met. They could, yeah. have, they could have met face to face. For a while, the Voodoo Queen, when she was growing up, she was a hairdresser to the Creole elite and was rumored to be of service to one of LaLaurie's aunts. So when LaLaurie would have grown up, uh, Madame Laveau, an older woman, she probably still would have she probably still would have had access to the higher elite families of the Creole elite, and she probably would have been invited to some of the famous 
parties that the Lollaries would throw. And then there's the belief that Dr. Lollarie, one who practiced medicine under the guise of body deformations, remember he was really into like weird medicines and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. He might have been interested in such a rare case of a child. But as cool as it sounds, there is no real basis of any of this actually happening, no matter how cool the legend sounds. Hmm. So after it's all said and done, the one thing that we can believe is that a fire did break out at the Lollary Mansion. And to this day, that's literally the only thing that's keeping this legend alive, the Lollary Mansion. After the Lollary Estate sold the mansion, a long list of tenants, businesses, and private owners, they hot-potatoed the mansion amongst themselves. People would buy it, they didn't like it, something happened, they talked to somebody else. And that's how the whole that's been the history of the lottery mansion ever since the fire and each time the house was sold the legends of hauntings and paranormal activity grew with each owner adding their own ghastly encounters immediately after the fire rumors of the house being haunted began so here's a quick shortened timeline of the lottery house and its alleged hauntings Starting with 1831, that's when the Lollaries actually bought the house. Now, in 1832, rumors began to spread about the Delphine's cruelty to her slaves. She is allegedly seen whipping a child slave on the roof of the house before the young girl falls and is killed instantly. In 1834, that's when the fire breaks out at the mansion and is supposedly started by a female chained in the kitchen. Rescuers discovered tortured, starved slaves locked and chained in rooms in the attic. The slaves are taken to the safety to safety and anger of their horrifying states start to spread fast. A mob gathers outside the house and destroys the house. Firemen and policemen report hearing scratching and moaning in the house but are unable to locate anyone. The rumors of the haunting begin. The lotteries escape New Orleans and assign their business affairs over to family. Now between 1837 to 1865, the house is rebuilt to its current three-store configuration and purchased by a man who only keeps it for three months. He tells friends and family that the house is plagued with awful noises, cries, and groans in the night. He tries renting out the rooms, but tenants only stay for a few days at most. Finally, he gives up and the house is abandoned yet again. Between 1860 to 1865, it's rumored during this time during the Civil War that the Lottery Mansion was actually used as a union's head- headquarters. Hmm. I think Josh mentioned this, right? Or you mentioned this. No. No? I mean, that's there's no proof that it was used during this. Uh, there's no documentation, but there's rumors that during World War, during the Civil War, that the Lottery Mansion was used as a, as a union headquarters. Nice, nice. Now, in 1872, the house becomes a public high school for, quote-unquote, the girls of Lower District. The school enrolls both white and black students, but in 1874, the white league forces the black children to leave the girls. They line the girls up and question them about their family backgrounds and attempt to discover who is colored and who is not, because some were mixed children, specifically the girls that were more fair than the white white students. Girls determined to be mixed are forced out of the school as well. So 
during this point, school came together. It was a bunch of black. It was a. It was in a non-segregated school, so yeah. it was white and black, white and black students, uh, students and, and girls. But for whatever reason, like two years into two years into the school, a bunch of white parents were like, "No, no, no, fuck that shit." They went in yeah. and they dragged all the black girls out, and some of the and well, they dragged all the girls out. Yeah. The reason they dragged all the girls out was because they're gonna kick out all the girls, all the black girls out. They were kicking them out. They were forcibly moving them. Yeah. And all the white girls, they were asking them who your parents are. Because some of the mixed girls were lighter than some of the white girls. Yeah. So so they were asking, who's your parents? Where do you live? La, la, la. Oh, you're mixed? The fuck out. And they would just grab her and pull her yeah. out. And that, that's fucked up. But that's what ended up happening. It's actually like, that's freaking modern as fuck for them to just have it be a non-segregated school. Yeah, well, the thing is, uh, Louisiana, specifically New Orleans, it was a like ahead of its time in, in yeah. terms of like... Um, like social awareness like they weren't trying to segregate anybody it was just like dude just everyone do what they want to do remember they were they're one of the few states that still had that had laws with their slaves uh-huh. during the lottery incident and now they have things where like no no, no non-segregation put all the students together except yeah. it was just the shitty white people that lived there were like no 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 we don't want to be we don't want my daughters going now with daughters of we're shitty we want to make you feel shitty too and now in 1873 a year later, the house is listed as a leaf tobacco business, and stories are told and retold of strange lights and shadow objects that were seen floating and appearing and disappearing in different areas. Skeleton heads poking out of the walls. Ah, this one's crazy because this, this one is just like pure, pure ghost stories where they're like, the lights appear, you're looking at a light, like you're in the room, this light turn off, and then the light, light turn on, and when you look over there... You see a skeleton pop out from one wall to the other. You're like, what the fuck is going on? And people are just stripping out. And they're like, yeah, that shit ain't cool. And then that shit, I think, just lasted a year. They're like, yeah, we gotta get the fuck out. I <laughs> just booked it. And then 1889, an apartment is rented by Joseph Edward Vignier for a little more than three years. In 1892, Vignier is found dead upstairs, according to rumors, black crepe, uh, fancy black silk, on the door of the house. It was found on the doors in the house. They found $10,000 in cash and family heirlooms hidden in various places around the apartment, which is strange considering that his neighbors thought him to be a poor, crazy man who always kept to himself. Hmm. This one was weird. This one was weird because at this point, the mansion was basically kind of like a hotel, an apartment complex. Everyone just, 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 just ran a room. And this dude just ran a room and people thought he was just weird. For what, he was just like this weirdo who always kept to himself or whatever. But three years after he rented this place, he was one of the longest living tenants there because he lived there for three years. Yeah, they just found him mysteriously dead. And when they found him, he had all this cash ten thousand dollars in the 18. That's a shit. That's, a, money. that's probably a shitload of money. It's probably a, over a hundred grand. In, yeah. just in cash, they found the black crap. And I was looking up what the fuck black crap meant. It's just black silk. It's just a they just found a black, like black curtains yeah. on the doors of his apartment and in the doors. Of the house, no yeah. one knows why. What that signifies? Yeah. Maybe it's supposed to be something bad. It's cursed. Yeah. Who knows? But people attribute it that some. Well, that's one of the horrible things that happened in the lottery mansion with this dude, who everyone thought was weirdo, ended up just mysteriously dying with a shitload of cash and shitload of like priceless heirlooms in his little apartment. What if he died like two years in, and that whole third year he was dead already? I, I doubt it, because I'm pretty sure the only reason they found him is because like it's rent day. Vinay, give me the fucking rent. Give me the fucking 35 cents. <laughs> Pay up. <laughs> 30 
don't know what rat was back then. Hey, fuck you and your black crap! <laughs> you fuck! Black crap fucked him. You fancy fucking bastard. And then lastly, in 1893, F. Greco purchased a house and in large signs of the wall of the building in both Italian and English read this. The haunted house. There is an end to everything, so there is with ghosts. Come and be convinced. Admission is 10 cents. Yeah, so we're stopping the timeline in 1893 because you kind of have an idea what the fuck is going on at the Lottery Mansion. You know what I mean? Just people buying the house, weird shit happens, they don't like it, they hear noises, they pass it on to someone else. That person buys it, likes it, doesn't like it, he hears noises, they pass That's how it goes on and on and on and on until I think in the early 2000s, uh, the man, the myth, the legend himself, Nicolas Cage, owned the house. And there's a shitty it. reason why he lost it. Shitty ass reason. I mean, it's it's not a, it's an unfortunate reason, right? He's a shitty man. It's an unfortunate reason. He just had no money to pay all the shitload of money in taxes. He fucking tax evasion, motherfucker. Pay your taxes. You're rich. But because of Nicolas Cage, all these ghost shows, uh, all these famous ghost shows, they couldn't. They wanted they wanted to go in the Lollary house, but he's impossible to get a hold of. And only with the permission of the owner of the house were you able to get in. So all these shows, they would contact his manager, and they just could never get a hold of Nicolas Cage. And now that it's closed, no one could get a hold of it. Like, no one could go inside with modern technology to see if there's ghosts. It's or closed? Yeah, it's, no, no, it's not closed now. But it's a ghost. Uh, it's a ghost. It's like a tourist attraction. Oh, okay. It's like, it's owned by, I think, the city or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, it's not privately owned. So before, it was just... It was just... So people can't go in to do... Like investigations and stuff, and they're not gonna let you because the whole the, the whole point of the going to yeah, the house it's to find by, ghosts. Yeah. And if you show up and we don't find anything, people are like, "Oh, well." There goes the tourist attraction. Yeah, that's our biggest money. So the timeline of the Lollary goes on to sound like what we just heard: changing hands, and each time the house changes hands, the lender grows with the new owner's own personal ghost encounters. Multiply all this by the hundreds and thousands of visitors of New Orleans who have gone home and retold the story to be horrified, to fascinate their friends and family, and you get the makings of a legend that's larger than life. This legend transcends almost 200 years, kept alive by thousands of ghost tours dedicated to the perfect ghost story, all starring the mad Madame La Laurie. That is the end of our Madame LaLaurie series. Hmm. I so going in. If if you would have asked me before, I before well, when I had ordered this book on Amazon, if you would have asked me what 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 is your outcome of the story going to be, I thought it was, I thought honestly it was just going to be guilty, guilty, guilty. I think she's a hundred percent innocent. Do you guys feel she's? I feel like it's hand in hand, but. The one who did most of the dirty work has to be um, Louis Lollary. So you thought that somehow she was involved? Yeah. Whether she whether she played a little part of even if the, even if she like just turned the other way, you knew she, she, like she was aware of what was going on. Yeah. Yeah. For sure, at least. Yeah, that like I, my the way I came in is completely opposite of how it came out when it came to this. When it came to the research on Madame LaLaurie, which is weird because I was going to, um, 
you know, because, you know, like, I'm working on my sleeves, and on my right arm, I'm going to have a bunch of, like, monsters, like, you know, like, famous monsters. I have a werewolf on my forearm. I'm going to get Dracula soon on my, on, my, on, my, on my shoulder and shit like that. And on my left arm, I was going to get a bunch of femme fatales, a bunch of, like, e- like women. And one of the women I was going to get was... Lollerie. Was Lollerie. She was going to be a big piece on my shoulder. But now I'm like, I'm not going to get just this innocent lady on my shoulder. Why not? Because she's innocent. You should do? You should uh, then you, you, you... F- you get a, a portrait of her with the devil baby and the doctor in the background. For what? Because he's always in the background. I hate you. But yeah, so, th- I mean, I enjoyed this series. It was fun as shit. Ghost, ghost stories, finding out the truth, investigating to see what the fuck is going on. And again, this two-episode series would not have been possible without Mad Madame Lollerie. New Orleans, the most famous murderous revealed. Written by Victoria Carlson Love and Laurelie Shannon. And you guys can find the link to buy this book on the episode show notes. So what do you guys think? <coughs> that was cool. I thought it was a, a, a cool, like, because I only know about the Laurelie, um, I guess, story from American Horror Story. And how, like, apparently her and Laurie, I mean, her and uh, Laveau have been in cahoots and like they're kind of like enemies but not enemies they're like frenemies yeah and they hate each other but like fuck i kind of need her right yeah. now yeah that kind of deal i've never the only the only american horror story i ever saw was freak show i think was yeah. the carnival one yeah and i didn't even finish that one like the only one that i thought was the most interesting was the new orleans one because i was like more which is this one right which is, yeah, the, yeah. One. Which is more like i guess related with the times because i mean they, they they talked a little bit about different aspects that happen in reality but i feel like that one was like really most of it was like it, it is stuff that that has happened or like myths or whatever stories that were talked about that time is that the recent uh, no that's one of the season? old ones i don't even know what what they're doing right now oh. they're always changing like every- right now i know they're doing like uh the whole slasher thing like the camp crystal lake i remember that those are the ads that they're putting up or like people in the water having fun like the ad like the commercials I mean, like the like the posters of the of the new season. Yeah, it's like people like Camp Crystal, like for example, like they jumping into the water, and then you just see like a person with a mask and a blade. Yeah, or like yeah. some girls showering, and you see in the shower like some dude with a mask with a blade. Like yeah. they're going for that the serial killer slasher thing mm. for this next season. I'm assuming. I don't know if it's out or not. I could uh, be wrong, but watch a bit like a scream crossover. Mm. I don't know. I just the, the last thing I watched was The Witcher, and holy shit! If you guys have not watched The Witcher. Watch The Witcher. The Witcher is the shit. If you guys don't know what The Witcher is, what The Witcher is, a series of books made famous, most made made famously by one of the greatest games of all time, The Witcher 3, The Last Hunt. And the series came out a week ago, two weeks ago on Friday, December 20th. Yeah. It came out on Friday. I binged it all Saturday. Just eight episodes. It's short. <sighs> beautiful. Beautiful. I was so scared. So scared. When I found out a year ago that Henry Cavill was going to be Gerald, I was like, holy fuck, this looks horrible. Just because I can't see Henry Cavill as anything but Superman. Yeah. I'm like, he's super, he's fucking Superman. He can't be anything else. He's the newest one that's Superman, right? Yeah. Yeah. He can't be anybody else. I'm like, he's he's just Superman ingrained in my head. And then like a few months, a few months months before the show premiered, they finally showed him in costume. I'm like, oh, fuck, he looks like fucking Henry Cavill cosplaying as Legolas from fucking Lord of the Rings. Uh. I'm like, fuck, man, I don't like the way this looks. I don't like the way this looks. 
Uh-huh. And I was so nervous. I didn't watch it. Well, I'd forgotten Friday until my brother came in from my room. My brother's like, were you watching The Witcher? I was like, oh, no, I'd forgotten. I guess I'm going to throw it in the back burner. On Saturday, I'm like, fuck it, I'm going to bite the bullet. Three minutes into the show, I'm like, all right, I'm in love. He's 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 the perfect he's the perfect Gerald. And then you're you're saying that the whole point of The Witcher is that it's being told by different people or something like that. No, so so the thing about the the Witcher show is three different timelines. Uh huh. And it's three different timelines, and all the three timelines different different characters. One's Gerald's timeline, one's Yennefer's timeline, and one's Ciri's timeline. The the three main characters. Ciri is the little blonde girl. Her timeline is the one that's the concurrent one, which is the current timeline that we're going through gerald's jumps around because uh, the thing about gerald one of his books i forgot the the name of the book is just a book of his adventures and there's no story behind it it's just like chapter one gerald's 19 he does this chapter two he's 65 and he fought this creature chapter three he's 25 so it just jumps around and that's kind of how this show kind of takes gerald's adventure he's like jumps around from timeline Mm. but he stays the same age he's probably like within the same year but because and, but the reason they do that is because each time you each time you, you see a Gerald story, it adds a little bit to Siri's story. You're like, oh shit, this is what happens. And same thing with the other with the other storyline with Jennifer. Jennifer is uh, the Witcher's long lost love, not, not long lost love, but he's like his 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 like great white buffalo. That's like, his, like great white buffalo. that's like his chick. That's like great his that's like his his lady, and um. They're, they're always at odds with each other. They can't be together even though they love each other. And her story adds to Gerald's and Gerald adds to Siri. And it's not until the last episode where you see all their timelines meet and you're like, oh, shit. And a lot of people didn't like that. A lot of people didn't like the, the three concurrent timelines. People were like, this is confusing. What the fuck? Because yeah. like in episode one, this person dies. And then episode five, you're like, wait, this person died like fucking nine hours ago. Why the fuck is this person here? Yeah. And that's when you start figuring out like, oh, this, this is a flashback. This is a, time, this is a flashback episode. This is, And they don't explain it to you because... Uh, it's it's bold of them to, for them because a lot of times a lot of shows they f- they they feel that the audience is dumb so they have to fucking let you know everything that's going on. This one kind of no 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 you'll catch up like just give it some time you'll catch yeah. up. By the sixth by the fifth episode you kind of confused with certain little things and then you're like oh I, I see what they're doing yeah and then it just catches up with episode with episode eight you're like holy fuck and then after episode it ends. You find out that The Witcher Season 2 is going to come out to 2021. You're like, fuck! Damn. But it's an amazing show. It's the, it's, Net, it's Netflix's highest um, <coughs> highest um, critique show. Critique? It's beaten Stranger Things. It's beaten House of Cards. It's beaten all those shows. Really? Yeah, it's just, just beaten all those sh- It's just... And a lot of people are like, "Oh well, this is the this is the show that's going to fill the Game of Thrones void. This this is the show that the world's going to talk about now." Mm. And the people are the people are jumping into it, and people are watching it. And people are like, "What the fuck? The show's amazing. Yeah. What the fuck? Gerald, fucking Henry Cavill's the perfect Gerald. He's he's dude. He's hilarious. And I and when you look into the when we start looking after the show ends, you start reading into it. You find out that he's a huge fan of the books. He was a huge fan of. Lord of the Rings, of Game of Thrones. He's a he was a he was a gamer nerd. PC games all day. His favorite thing was like Lord of the Rings, and he's like, I wanted to play this. This is the character I wanted to play. So when the the, sh- the show came out, that they're gonna do it. I want to be Gerald, and he's the perfect Gerald. He's the perfect Gerald. It's fucking amazing. And I'm t- and this podcast is obviously turning into a, the Witcher fan podcast. And like uh, the, the 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 creator of the show, she's she's done um <coughs> she's done a few shows like. Like the like, in The Witcher, there's a lot of like incest, 
and rape and things like that. But it's not like Game of Thrones. It's not in your face. They don't throw it. Like you could, it's, it's insinuated. They let you figure it out. Like they yeah. let you. It's not like Game of Thrones where they're like, oh, she, like, nah. It's like it's smart and like it's it's cool because like a, a lot of the writers, a huge amount of the writers were women, and you're able to tell that they were women because the way the stories are told, because the way the stories of the women of the show are told. Yeah, they're told like they're fleshed out full characters, and you're like, shit, I fucking love Yennefer. Shit, Siri, mm-mm. I don't because. The little girl who's the main character, who's yeah. like, she kind of, she's the glue that kind of puts everything together. So yeah. her story's kind of concurrent. So it's like, whatever. But the show's amazing. Check it out. Witcher. It's on Netflix. It's not, it sounds like a paid ad, but it's not. It's just. It it's fucking It's fucking amazing. Does. Bro, I have so many art books of The Witcher in my thing over there. You I have, do. I have. You. I love. I, I fucking love the shit out of that game. So I was so nervous when the show was coming out. I was like, fuck. But I'm glad it came out. Now I'm sad because I have to wait like a year or something <laughs> for season two to come out. Damn. But anyways, that's enough Witcher talk. Um, thank you guys. This series was a blast. It was an eye-opener for me in terms of uh, people's bullshit and how people's narratives could change someone's legacy after deaths, which is, which, is the, which is what I'm still thinking, which is what I'm still sticking to. I still feel she was innocent. She had nothing to do with it. And just hating ass bitches, hating on a pretty bitch. That's the only. That's that's the. That's what I'm getting away from. It. That's what I'm getting away from it. With from it. So if you guys don't have anything else to add, you guys can add us on Instagram. Weird history, even tells pod. You guys can continue to review and rate us on iTunes. We've gotten reviewed, and the last two reviews have been one stars. No way. They've <laughs> been one stars, so we dropped back down to four point mm. Which like if you're gonna if you're gonna put one star, at least that was why. Well, they say no why? No, they just put a one star. And one star. Man. That's it. They said rate and review, not just rate. Oh. Yeah, I, you know, like respect to the last person who gave us a one star. It was like two months ago. We're like, I'm not gonna listen to your show if you can't pronounce. And then they put the word I can't pronounce. What was the word? Uh, it's, it's a word for like pirate money. I think we pronounce it doubloon or something. It's spelled D U B O O N, but we can't pronounce it. Wait, this how, how old? How old? Like a month that? ago. The, like someone, oh, okay. someone posted this comment. At least, at least be that person. At least tell us why we suck dick. Don't just tell us you suck dick and leave. You know what I mean? But but <laughs> rate and review us. It helps the show grow. It's supposed to help the show grow if you <laughs> if you leave us feedback. You know what I mean? The show's gonna go. You know what I mean? So um, do that. Um, uh, again, uh, we're we're soon gonna take off the show off of Google Play. We're probably gonna take it off somewhere around our three year anniversary around March. Because uh, I still keep checking, and they're saying we still don't have any downloads coming from any Android phones. We don't exist. So if you guys have Androids, and if you guys would like, keep listening, we're, we are now on Spotify. You guys can find us there. Weird History. The Weird History. E-Retail Spot. You guys can find us there. People have been hitting. There's a, a young lady who hit us up on Instagram. She's like, she's like, oh, I just, I just added you guys on Instagram. Are you guys on Spotify? I was like, yeah, we are. She's like, all right, cool. I'm give you guys a listen. So people are listening on Spotify. That's so cool. if you guys... Check us, up, check us out on Instagram again. Want to check out the videos, pictures, and everything we talk about during these episodes? Listen to us on Instagram. Weird History E-Retails Pod. But if you guys don't have anything else to add, keep a look out for my brother's ASMR podcast that he wants to do so bad. Yes, yes. It's going to be a soothing. I want to punch you in the face. <laughs> so if you guys don't have anything else to add, Relax. we are the Weird History E-Retails Podcast. Happy New Year. Oh, yeah. Happy New Year. Podcast, 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 podcast. Shut up.